Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. Each episode, we interview a city or county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government right here in the Sunshine State. And our guest today has a really incredible perspective. Uh, She has traveled Bay County, Broward County, Volusia County, Tampa, Hillsborough County, been around the state, been in government for 40 years. And we're going to talk about something a little different today, something that is vital and important. If you've been listening to these episodes, you know we've kind of come up with a common theme that those who serve, those who serve as city managers, deputy city managers, county administrators serve, they have two things in common. Thing one is a desire to serve the public, which also means giving up great wealth. Uh, desire Thing two we found is they are unique problem solvers. Each day is a little different. Each problem is a little more challenging and a little different as well. And what does that mean for somebody who gets up every day and is confronted with new, new and different things? It means you're probably not preparing yourself for retirement. Now, we're not trying to get you out of your office early, but Pam Brancaccio is with us today. Did I get that right, Pam? <laughs> uh, and she is also a keynote speaker at the upcoming FCCMA con- uh, conference, which I want to I I open with that, Pam, because it's an interesting story and it's a good lead in into, and I think the pre and the post retirement uh, for city managers. Tell us a little bit about what you're talking about at the FCCMA conference. Well, I came out in 2019 in the midst of a family medical leave act situation. My, my husband had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he and I had been together for gosh, 37 years by then. And Dave was doing great. About a year of that, our life continued as normal. I worked and we traveled and we had a good time of it all. And then the last four months, I needed to be home full time. So I came out. I was able to do a Family Medical Leave Act settlement because I was officially on Family Medical Leave Act with my city. I had been there for 10 years. They treated me very well. I had a huge retirement party and a felt a bit like my wake, quite frankly, in terms of all the speeches and all the people. I think I had five of my mayors in the room that night. So it was done very nicely. And then I was able to basically be with Dave um, the last four months of his life, which was exceptional for us in terms of being in that bubble. So that was, I would say I was not prepared to retire. I was 63. Um, I had not really given it a lot of thought. And here I am uh, looking at 65, basically. And that's the, the topic is being prepared for retirement. Is that is that the topic? Of yes, the it is. Uh, no, the uh, conference uh, topic I, 10 days before David passed, I shattered my patella, which is your kneecap. Now I know why people get whacked in the kneecap. I had never felt (laughs) such pain. We had been training again with friends, uh, did a lot of charity, 5Ks, 10Ks, done my first half marathon that year. And we were training again for what was going to be the shark half marathon in New Smyrna Beach done six miles that morning, went out about 5.30. I have this great photo. For some reason, I took a photo that morning in my coffee cup and my lanyard. 
with my house key on at 5.30 a.m. on August 24th. And by 8 a.m. that morning, I was being loaded into an ambulance for the first time. <laughs> being a city manager, of course, I asked if it was a county or a city crew. Hey, the loyal to the end. <laughs> the ambulance crew literally said, does it matter? And I went, of course not. <laughs> has been loading on something that looked like a surfboard. Thank God our city was wealthy and had the best tools, as the county folks told me. And I was in surgery by noon that day. Oh so I spent the next six months learning how to walk again. Basically, what I didn't know is that all of your muscles go through that kneecap. Um, so it was an interesting time for me, obviously. And then Dave passed away the day that Hurricane Dorian came through Volusia County, his beloved Abacos had been destroyed two days earlier when Dorian came through the Bahamas. And I had to check myself out of a rehab center after five days to come home and deal with hospice and get Dave transported so that he could pass in a, in a good way in terms of a hospice facility. So I'm gonna be talking about how one comes back from that uh, my title of the topic is how to dance with a limp because I still limp. <laughs> I still limp. What a great <laughs> but I walk what a great and I can title. do two, three miles a day without any trouble. So without, without totally disclosing, give us the movie trailer. What, how do you come back from that? You have to start taking responsibility for yourself. And that's very much what you and I are talking about today on the retirement. I had spent 18 months um, managing Dave's care. We had the best chemo doctors. We had the best hospitals. We had the best. I literally could, could probably write a book on pancreatic cancer, which is not something you ever want to brag about. But I managed Correct. his care. And quite frankly, after my accident, I wasn't managing my own care because of the grief fog that I was in. And I woke up some point, six, eight weeks later, and realized I hated my physical therapist, fired the therapist, changed the centers, got myself into aqua therapy, which is in the pool, and got myself a kick butt, take charge therapist, but in a good way that understood the grieving process I was going through. Um, and just started taking responsibility for myself. Probably you know, about I, December I, I of 2019. Yeah, I also traveled a, a similar journey yeah. last year, as you know, and the idea that you think to yourself at some point, am I going to be pig pen for the rest of my life with this cloud of sadness following me around? And it starts with the little things, right? It starts with changing your therapist. It starts with commitment to yourself. It's To me, it started with making my bed. Uh, you can't stay in it all day if you make it. And then no matter how bad your day is, when you come back at the end of the day, you have a made bed to get back to. And then you stand up and you say, I'm going to put this one foot in front of the other foot. And I feel like I've accomplished something. And the next thing you know, you're walking and you're heading out the door back to the office and uh, moving forward and yes. uh, in, a, in a positive way. Well, good for you. Uh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear that, but let's, let's transition to the purpose of this podcast, which is you're a city manager. You love your job. You're committed. Every day is a different challenge, whether it's dealing with, 
a commission, whether dealing with their irate customers, uh, citizens in the community, a pothole, a technician, uh, a water spill, a weather event that you can't control, whatever those things are, being a problem solver, problem solver, problem solver, and putting aside your own retirement. So talk to me about what advice you would give to somebody who's, you know, um, I just turned 60 also. You, you know, when you hit your 50s and 60s, it's something you really need to start thinking about. Start with me on, on what, what preparations before, you know, if you can give yourself some timeline, what, what are the preparations while you're still full-time employed? I have, when I've learned in the last few months in terms of talking to city managers here, and most of my friends, again, are between that 50 and 60-year-old, and they're really not looking at retirement. We find that we manage our own city's finances better than we manage our own. We all have pension accounts. Um, our cities contribute to them. They're either with ICMA, they're nationwide, they're private 401ks, but we don't manage them normally. Imagine if you only looked at your city's budget once a year. Well, that's what most of us do. We meet with the representatives of those investment firms once a year. And we nod. And, you, and usually while checking your emails. Usually while we're running out the door in between our 12 meetings a day. I had, could not have told you where my money was invested. I knew that I had done a five-year plan when I turned, I think I was about 57 or so when I thought, gosh darn, I need to think about these investments. I need to think about retiring at some point, but I never looked at them. I didn't know what my passwords were. I didn't know how much money I had. And not that anybody was managing it. It wasn't like my husband was doing that. I said there was simply nobody doing that. Every every week, some money went into some exactly. account somewhere you trusted exactly. it's going to be there. And I have shared over the last six months the contact information for the financial advisor that I have here in the Tampa Bay area. So many times with fellow managers, I cannot even tell you because they're like, gee, you're not going back to work. First of all, everybody's shocked um, that I'm not going back to work because I worked for 40 years. I don't think I got comfortable right. with that not going back to work until I sat down with a financial advisor who told me what my lifespan was. I mean, guys, we're all gonna be hopefully into our late 80s, early 90s. We're looking at 20 to 40 years in terms of needing to plan for. And what you find over 54% of Americans take out their social security early. Social security is just another paycheck. We've earned it. But yet 54% are taking a permanent decrease in social security. I having lost a spouse, I didn't know the first thing about spousal support. I was sitting at a dinner party, um, probably January of 2019, 2020 at that point actually, and had a couple of older ladies tell me, well, well, honey, you did go to social security, didn't you? And they did say, honey, and I went, uh, what? Why would they do that? What? I had no idea. And I think as managers, again, we just don't prepare ourselves. No, I had no passwords. I hadn't been on their apps. <laughs> I looked at what my benefits were gonna be, you know, no, you're the cobbler. You're the cobbler with no shoes. Yeah, of your we own, manage right? budgets. I have a three billion dollar budget in Broward County. I have eight thousand employees. I could do that in my sleep. But the idea of managing for my own retirement, I had not planned for. 
So that to me would be the number one, the first point in terms of people who are, are hitting that 50 to 55 mark. There is an increase, but five years before you retire, you can actually start putting more money in your pension plans. There's a catch up provision for after 50. Most people don't know that and don't do it. So that would be my first advice would be to get, look at your pensions, manage your own pensions, get a private financial advisor on board. Not one, by the way, that's selling you a product. You want one that isn't making money off of you. Um, and they basically, the way they make their money is they sell other products. Those folks will, will also have for Medicare, which comes up at 65 for most of us, which by the way, when you retire is a big deal. I pay 1100 a month for my uh, retirement insurance. And that's as a single individual. So a lot of it that's not that's not an insignificant amount of money, especially for somebody who's been in public service their whole life. You've got to manage that and you got to patch it together. Talk to me a little bit about um, the psychology, because I hear it all the time. You said the word plan like three or four times. You're right about the contrast. You manage billion dollar, hundred million dollar budgets all day long, but yet you ignore your own. I guess you you're in your 50s. It seems like 100 years away. Next thing you know, you're in your 60s and you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, but the psychology of retirement, you know, as a person, so, so setting aside the finances, your job is challenging, it's intriguing, it's always got different, you know, ways about it. And then one day you wake up and you're and we all think, oh, this will be easy. I'll just, you know, I want to catch up on my fishing. We want to travel, blah, blah, blah. You read some of the studies that say the number one heart attack cause for people who retire is the stress of being retired. What do I do today? What do I do today? having a plan to retire. What, what has it been like for you not to have to show up at the office every day? And did you have a plan? I did not have a plan. And you might know Connie Hoffman. Connie was longtime manager of Fort Lauderdale and then out on the beach there for a number of years. And Connie used to tell me in terms of Broward that I needed an exit strategy. And I also didn't have an exit strategy for Broward. So I really didn't have a plan because again, I thought I had time. I thought I would go 66, 67. I've got a lot of friends that are working to 70. I wasn't really worried about it. My husband had a very active life that didn't depend on my being there with him. Um, so, you know, we had managed local government careers, separate careers for almost 40 years. So it wasn't going to be a problem. What I find though, I, this week is a good example. I have had no time to even sit. You overcommit is the first thing you're going to learn in retirement. Because you think I got all this yes. time. Yes. I am currently serving on the Treasure Island Planning and Zoning Board. I was appointed by the city commission last September. I have two meetings a month, both at the local planning agency as well as their planning and zoning board. We hear in Treasure Island, it's 5,900 people. It's a gorgeous beachside community. We even see site plans on new kind of, you know, new single family homes. Um, yeah, three, three, three million, four million dollar uh, single family homes. You know, there's a lot of redevelopment going on with mom and pop hotels, the parking issues here, the tourism issues. So it does tend to all land on PNZ. Quite frankly, Steve, I had put Parks and Rec as my number one choice when I slid the application for boards and committees under the door of the closed city hall last fall. The manager who I know called me up and said, well, guess what? Looks like you're going on PNZ tonight. 
Um, <laughs> but I said I would only do it if I could be true to myself on it. I have not made any friends in the last six months on PNZ. I vote against parking variances, which drove me crazy in New Smyrna when PNZ would approve them. I voted against a couple of side plans I didn't like. Um, well, the beauty of that, is, what, what I like is, you know, a lot of people say, I'm going to retire. We have a mutual friend. We talked about Joe Yarbrough. He's going to go off and become a farmer. And now he's back uh, engaged again, back in the county. But not don't do that accidentally because it does opportunities don't always arise. You don't always get to serve on a committee like that where you can actually still have uh, value to the community, value to yourself, a, a, a purpose. And what I keep reading about is if you don't have a purpose, you're going to just fade off and you're going to be sad. Have a continued purpose. You're not showing up every day to earn a living, but you're, you're you know, at some level over committing is better than some folks uh, who retire and then have nothing to do. And they think that was nirvana until they start doing it. And they realize, you know, I really like having a purpose. So, and which also speaks to one of the things with the FCCMA is constant networking, keeping your certifications up, keeping your education up so you can continue to provide value. Our last guest does consulting work and enjoys uh, getting involved in other cities. They hire her to help with certain projects, certain grant work, et cetera, keeping herself very, very busy and enjoying the work while not being a full-time city manager. I do that, but for free. I just spent 60 hours over the last four weeks recruiting for the city manager for Kenneth City, which is a city, again, of about oh, probably 7,000 people here in Pinellas County, nestled up against St. Pete. And I'm a senior advisor for Florida City County Managers Association and International City Managers Association. There are eight of us in the state of Florida, and there are several hundred. We're about 200 strong nationally. It's not a lot when you look at 5,000 plus ICMA members and 500 plus FCCMA members, 400 plus cities here in Florida. So we're spread pretty thin, but what we do are, I have a presentation coming up in May, for example, with the city of Lake Wales, and it will be on the value again of the professional manager to their local government. Now, there's a majority of a new commission coming in and the manager has thought, well, maybe I should talk to them a little bit about form of government and why we do this. In Kenneth City, I worked directly with their commission and put together a questionnaire on what they wanted to see on their goals and objectives for three new commissioners. And then basically, I just got an interim manager hired. I got the council to agree to give that interim a chance, um, 60 days basically, and hopefully they will move her up in a permanent position as managers. So I basically just did a $30,000 um, consulting job <laughs> for free. But what I get from it is that networking and that staying involved and that giving back. Um, I will do the session in FCCMA, obviously doing your podcast today. I work with Florida League of Cities. Um, Lynn Tipton there had an inaugural class right before the pandemic on new managers and learning how to do strategic planning and budgets and planning and zoning, that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I think being so involved. So you, so you get to scratch that itch of, of continued public oh, service and be engaged. Itch. I went to four three hour city commission meetings four weeks in a row. I scratched that itch. It was good. But they came together <laughs> and they were pleasant. All I look for is for people to be kind to each other. And as new elected officials, they were kind and they picked the best person 
based on what the criteria were. And I've left them basically with a roadmap on what they're looking for that new person to do. We also- Let me ask you something, Pam, because when you're serving as city manager, by definition, you must be subservient, right? One of the, one of the lessons we learned was the, the genetic code of a city manager is someone who is willing to do great things, willing to do great public service, willing to engage in public projects and really transform people's lives, but get zero credit for it. Now, you no longer have to hide behind a hide for a city a commission or a mayor, you get to do it as Pam. Um, how is that different? How is that different from when, is it, is it more freeing? Is it a little bit more uh, concerning? Does it cause more anxiety? What, what's different about it's that? It's freeing on planning and zoning because I literally used to say that planning and zoning in New Smyrna Beach would approve roadkill. I just have- would we, I didn't hear I what you said. I used to what? say that they would approve roadkill. I hated the variances that were being approved there. I just did, but I could never say that and I could have no role in that. Our staff would recommend against it, for example, on a project, whether it be reducing setbacks or cutting down trees or what they were doing on their stormwater. I, I had no role in it. Like you said, I had to be quiet because again, that's your role as city manager. Your staff makes the recommendation, you roll the chair back. On my planning and zoning, I say exactly what I wanna say and I vote exactly the way I wanna vote. But as we've got to be really careful here. We're going to have like 75 city managers retire next week and go, I'm free. <laughs> but if you're going to be a senior advisor, you're not free in the sense of you are still covered. And this is important by the ICMA ethics code that we all subscribe to. I Tell me a little bit about that code. Uh, that code basically says that you cannot get politically involved. I had the mayor of Treasure Island running against the vice mayor of Treasure Island. Both of those gentlemen are in my Rotary Club because I rejoined Rotary when I retired because I have time for it. Of course you did. I'm Rotary Ball Beaches. <laughs> well, I could not support a mayoral candidate. I had other friends who were putting out posters for attending their political events. At getting that politically involved again and being on PNZ, being that senior advisor, I kept my mouth shut with regards to the mayoral race in Treasure Island. So that's a very small example, but one, I would subscribe to that, that a senior advisor should be covered by that ethical requirements. You would not want me in Kenneth City expressing my own opinions as to who they should pick. You know, that's a, that's a policy choice again by the commission. So you're gonna find that managers are pretty comfortable with that. It doesn't bother me in the sense of not being able to get involved in a local mayor's race. Actually, Bob, it probably also has to be a little freeing as well. It's like whatever it's going to be, but on my in my role on the on this council, I can I can speak my mind and I can use my experience. I can use my training to say what I think is the best for the interest of this community. Yes, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. But I think for some people, I most of my other senior advisors think I am absolutely crazy to have done that. But I think it filled a void. I really thought that I would be on probably four not-for-profit boards by now. I have worked over the years from building habitat houses to helping out on Meals and Wheels. Um, I've been a mentor both up in Bay County and you know, in terms of high school students. I've been on the educational foundation boards. 
But what happened here, Steve, with COVID, everything shut down. I moved on April 2nd. I made a conscious decision in March to sell the house that I had been in for 10 years in New Smyrna Beach and moved back to what I consider to be my hometown in terms of Tampa Bay. Now, mind you, I didn't move back to Tampa. I moved over to the beach side. Tampa yeah. Bay, if you've been here, we all just kind of flow together. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, I just spent the weekend in Tampa. I went to a lightning game and rode the Riverwalk. Uh, it was beautiful. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Had dinner at Burns. Um, I want to ask you something. Uh, normally, we end by asking people to tell us a little something about um, their town. But I want to I want to take this in a different direction with you, because if I were to pick four counties in the state of Florida that represented all the different variations, you know, Florida is like a small country. You've got Volusia County on the East Coast, which is rural and suburban. You've got Bay County, which is this Dixiecrat coastal community uh, with, with suffered what it suffered in Hurricane Michael. You've got a very large, ethnically diverse, the most ethnically diverse county in the state in Broward County. And now a retirement, also an interesting county in Pinellas County with um, uh, an incredible urban core, an incredible beach community, incredible access, one of the, you know, the fastest growing region in the state. Tell you've experienced all four quadrants of Florida, and I don't mean that just geographically, but I do mean that as well. What have you learned about the state of Florida and working in all these areas that you would, if you, if somebody were coming from Finland and said, tell me about Florida, what would you tell them? Strap in your seats. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> it's all different. There are days where I'm absolutely totally mortified to be a Florian. I'm a native Florian, a rare bird. But there are also days where I am just over the moon. Um, a lot of that I do in retirement in terms of bringing myself joy. The, about the second day I, I arrived here last April, I bought my season tickets for the Buccaneers. Uh, I got the last two club seats, quite frankly. And those are the snooty seats where one gets to go in the air conditioning and mingle and greet. And I went to the Super Bowl. And I had an amazing time. I had been to a Super Bowl and Broward hosted uh, down in Miami, actually, um, the Colts versus the Bears, Peyton Manning Super Bowl with Tony Dungy. But I love the Bucks, And I have literally, for me, that bringing it all home this year and sitting in that stadium in February and seeing the Bucks win the Super Bowl. The last one, by the way, was 2003 when I was up in Bay County. It had been a long time. So I think there's really good positives regards to the state, the diversity. I cut my teeth as a young assistant city manager uh, in the city of West Palm Beach for five years. So I love diversity. I love urban renewal. I am so proud of downtown Tampa. I am so proud of downtown St. Pete. But yes, yeah. I love the eclectic nature of the city of Dunedin, for example, or even our little treasure island here, um, town of golf here. They're all very eclectic, cool communities. And everywhere I've ever worked has been coastal. I've always had large sailboats. So I've always been about having that inlet and having that great little sailing club and being able mm -hmm. to be on that boat. But it's an amazing state. I think you just have to ignore where we are politically right now. And I hope that this state will be, you know, uh, uh, something to be proud of in the next 10 years. You know, I, I, 
As an American history um, hobbyist, I would call myself, uh, I think of Thomas Jefferson as represents both the best of America and the worst of America, a person who wrote uh, All Men Are Created Equal um, and the Declaration of Independence and other things, inspired the Bill of Rights um, when he came back from France, but he's also the worst of America, uh, owning other people. What he did at the, um, uh, with the nail factory with young boys as slaves was horrific. In some ways, Florida is like that, right? We, we are the best. We have great sports teams, great beach access, incredible state parks. But yet there's communities that are complete, you know, uh, disasters that are not well run, water overflowing, algae breaking out everywhere. So we're the, we're the best of America, we're the worst of America. And I guess you've seen all of that in, in your travels. I have, but I also think the beauty of Florida, again, there's so much, I bought so much land over the years through, first it was Preservation 2000 and Water Management District Grants. I was in Charlotte County for six years and I go back and I look at those parks on Lemon Bay and what was preserved there. The last thing I was able to do in New Smyrna Beach was an environmental land purchase general um, we actually had an 84% approval on the November 2018 election to approve the purchase of environmental land, which is a giant donut hole in the midst of a rapidly developing Volusia County, particularly New Smyrna Beach. Everybody wants to live there now. So I think when you look at the preservation that we've done, the commitments that I see from people like Clay Henderson, for example, he was a mentor mm -hmm. over in Volusia County. Um, Pat Northy there, and if you've ever met Pat in the background, but the counties that have committed to land preservation and water quality, the things that we did in Charlotte County, we were requiring literally composting. Um, when we weren't on central sewer there, we were requiring them to build a more expensive septic unit on homes where central sewer wasn't available. Uh, we were protecting the estuary in terms of Charlotte County. I had five Republican commissioners there. Politics did not come into play. They literally sued, no, local local they environmentalism the across, across party industry. But one of the worst hearings ever been to my life was in Hardy County when we went up with the county chairman, myself, and the county attorney. I was county administrator and interim county administrator at the time. And the chairman literally says to the two of us, and Mac talked this way, girls get in the car, we're gonna need to leave in a hurry because we literally were there as Charlotte County explaining to the Hardy County County Commission why we were suing them for approving the expansion of the phosphate mine. And quite frankly, my family, my grandfather and three uncles worked for what is now Mosaic Phosphate Industry. I always thought it was so cool that their granddaughter would land us. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, back we, in the 40s. And we learned we this over and over again, and it's a lesson that you have to keep reteaching. So we were talking to the assistant city manager of Coconut Creek. You're familiar with Coconut Creek. You worked in Broward County. And Coconut Creek went on a land buying spree to buy up as much environmentally sensitive land as possible. They did this partnership with the county. They did all this grant matching. And now you drive into Coconut Creek, the land values are high, the economy is spectacularly high, and it's a beautiful little community with affordable housing, but lots and lots of beautiful green space, and it shows. And well, we just talked to the county assistant county, deputy county administrator of Charlotte County and their land acquisition programs. And now what, what is happening? Punta Gorda, fastest growing city in Florida. 
because when you when you preserve it and you have good environment, you have good quality trees, you have good quality water, people want to live there. And there's other cities who say, oh, no, we don't want to take it off the roll. We want the money. Short-term thinking doesn't work in Florida, especially protecting environmentally sensitive land. And, and what I love is Lake County, very, very conservative, just passed a land acquisition uh, initiative as well. Uh, the, the county commission, again, very, very deep red, but they understand the value of protecting and preserving their local environment. They want local okay. governments. Quite frankly, that's why I think all of my friends are still so involved. Thank God for local governments. We do get it most of the time. Yeah, what saddens me is that when they get to Tallahassee and they get to the legislature, um, they seem to think they know more than local government. Local government is really where it works, and that's why I'm glad we have a home rule provision in our constitution. Pam, I really enjoyed this. I could do this for another hour with you. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to sign off now. Thanks for joining us and good luck at the FCCMA conference. Folks, this is Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Thank you for being with us.